Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, and with me all the way from Wales is the ghost in and ghost hunted Steve Parsons. Hey, Van H, how's it hanging? What's up? Yeah, so anyways... Did, yeah, why did he say that? Where, where did that come from? I was watching a YouTube video t- today about iPhones, and every time the guy says, hey, what's up, guys? I have no idea what you're talking about. That's all right. Just just continue to babble on. I'm sure someone might find that interesting somewhere. <clears throat> okay. Uh, that's it? <laughs> yeah, end of the show. Okay, fine. Whatever. Anyways, uh, you'll be here very shortly. Another six months, right? Uh, September, yeah. Uh, well, provided no, we, well, we've got to survive the end of the world in uh, March the 5th, isn't it? What? Yeah, we've got, yeah we've got I'm, another one. Apparently, oh, come on. NASA have been hiding an asteroid that's going to come oh, out to the Earth. Yeah, next week. Or week after next. All right. We'll so I, I won't make any long-term plans then. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you can answer the phone to Cal, though. Another really phone that's calls. That's Cal. Yeah. Oh, he's calls yeah. the Always. show. He's, he's trying Let, to get on. You know that. Get me on the show. I need to sell a book. Speaking about Cal, we haven't had him on in a long time. All right, then. I'll sort it. What do you think? Yeah, I'll ask him next week. Well, not yeah, next we, week. We've got a guest see, for next week, but I'll ask you. In the week, week after, and the week, well, week after I'll, that. I'll ask you. In the coming weeks. Yeah, there doc, you go. Dr. Cooper will, will no doubt grace us with his presence. Oh, is he a real doctor? Yeah, he will be by the, but he will be by the time Christmas comes around, I guess. It will be okay. this year. So, so are you a doctor? No. No? Who would have me as a doctor? Can you imagine me examining patients? Yeah, you were a nurse. That's pretty much the same. Yeah, but it was supervised. I don't yeah, well, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> now, that I know you, now that I know yeah. you, it does Chaper- Heavily chaperoned. <laughs> yes, okay. So anyways, um, uh, you you do have several several degrees, though, don't you? Uh, yes, I do. I, um, to, my, to, to my credit and to my shame, I do have one or two qualifications. Well, I mean... You know, you no, could actually sure. call me. No, I mean, legitimately, I think you could actually call me a parapsychologist. Um, but I do have qualifications in physics uh, to degree standard and also in nursing. Uh, ah, interesting. Which is, which is actually a pretty good combination for, for what we do, which is measuring stuff and observing. And, and when the girls faint, you can take care of them. Good idea. I, I always See, like all good nurses, I always sidestep um, anybody who's sick. Because you know, obviously, I'm not being paid to look after them. I don't care. But <laughs> <laughs> medicine, nursing—you know—one of those sort of humanities. Um, I mean, nursing is a science, but uh-huh. they're actually a pretty good grounding for for ghost investigation because you are, you know, in terms of physics, with your environmental qualifications, you know, you you become used to measuring the physical world to uh, a set set of standards. And in nursing and in medicine, of course, you're observing people uh, to a prescribed set of standards. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what the, it o- the only problem with, with me, and I say this sincerely, is no that problem. is that uh, you know I, I do have a, a great curiosity about all things, uh, but I lack uh, a lot of discipline, which. Uh, it's difficult, as you know, working with me in the in the past. I, well, do you know what? I actually, I actually can't even go with that because uh, not, I'm not agreeing with your lack of discipline. But I, it's something I also suffer from. Uh, I think it's because I'm constantly I, getting excited by the next new project and have to remember to finish the last one before I fi- you know start the next one. Because often when you're reading research stuff or you you come up with an idea for an experiment or something. You want to just get in and start it, and then you know you, you tend, there's a tendency to leave things a little bit undone. So right. I've had to become a, you know much more disciplined in order to achieve anything. Well, I give you credit then. Because so, anyways, uh, we do we do have a guest on the line, and I would like to bring him on. Uh, it's someone I've known for quite a while, and I really can't even remember how I met him actually. Uh, but he is a gentleman in the vampire persuasion and also a magician. So uh, without further ado, let me introduce to you to Vlad. Greetings. Vlad. Hey, how are you? Good. How about yourself? So how did I meet you? I, I forget now. I forgot. You showed up at one of my shows when I was doing it at Life and Death in Salem, the store that used to be in the... Peabody Essex Mall in Salem, Massachusetts, oh, and you yeah. were doing a radio event there. And I think you had a weren't you weren't you like some kind of you had a book or something? You yeah, were, book signing. We did a book signing there as yeah. well. Oh yeah, yeah. Now I remember you were with another gentleman who did a, a different type of magic than you, but uh, Daniel on Greenwolf. Chandra? What is it? Yeah, Daniel Greenwolf. He does Celtic magic. Mm-hmm. Celtic magic, which is right up, uh, you know, Steve's. Line. <laughs> Thanks for that. What, because I live in a Celtic well, nation. He sounds. He sounds a little bit more on the on the British side than the uh, uh, <laughs> than the Celtic side. It was. Well, it was. We well, run into that too because sort of I, my, my persona is more of the sort of Vlad Victorian sort of upper class aristocratic vampire Englishman, and mm-hmm. uh, one of the routines we did shared together was he was supposed to escape from sort of a guillotine type thing and and I was holding the rope <laughs> and I said I said you do understand the, the sort of like irony of an an Englishman holding a dagger above the head of an Irishman that's in stocks right and he's like oh hell <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think there's a bit of misperception going on here I mean oh really the, the English uh, we're actually a very friendly nation I mean, yes I mean, we've we've invaded occasionally, you know, expanded occasionally. <laughs> um, but I I I have a, I have a Celtic wife. Uh, my children, or t- two of my children, are um, half Celtic. They're well, they're both half Welsh. My wife's Welsh, really and um, I've lived I've lived in Wales now for eight years. And according to my wife, I tend to slip into a Welsh accent, which I. I've become increasingly conscious of. So maybe there's a bit more Celt in me than. That I like to admit. Yeah, well, you're always going over to Ireland and well, with, uh, yeah. I mean, I was, uh, I, I was trying, and the rest of that mob that runs the, uh, the paranormal it. groups up there. Well, I was also trying to gloss over the fact that a lot of my ancestry is Irish. So, um, yeah, yeah. There's, so, a t- yeah there's a touch of Celt. There's a touch of Celt in all of us. 
Well, I was just sort of on this side of the pond. I sort of always thought that that the, the heritages were very, not that there was an animosity, that there was sort of like the legends and heritages were very clearly defined. Like sort of like, like one person is, you know, like you don't, you don't, like the Coddington fairies belong to one set. And, you know, we don't do that. We, we have this, you know, sort of like where things were clearly defined between, you know, different things. So, which may be a misconception. Uh, well, the Cottingley fairies are, are terribly English. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're, they're an English thing. But throughout our sh- I mean, the Celtic culture, um, which surrounds me now, is very much based on, on folklore and mythology. They have a great sort of continuation of folklore. But that, I think, there is, there is also uh, a great deal of truth in that the English also have a great deal of sort of history of folklore and mythology. It's just slightly different than the Celtic one. And yeah. often, and often, I, I think it's an English thing: is we we tend to downplay that side of our of our nationality, uh, but the Celtic nations, uh, the Scots, the Irish, and the Welsh tend to play up their mythology, um, and they tend to trade more on it than the English do. We we tend to trade more on the fact that we kept conquering the two Celtic nations at border mm. and uh, brought them civilization. As, in, as indeed we did to North America. Yeah. Well, I think I think several of us were probably feel that like things might be a little bit different had had we stayed under the British flag. But oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, a lot different. Attack, well, your tax situation would probably be better. Right, we, we would have been we would have been evading uh, Grenada, not them. Yeah, yeah. you probably would have been speaking French. Hmm. Dreadful. Anyway, so Vlad, I mean, why, why the Vlad persona? Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Vlad does uh, bizarre magic, uh, or whatever you call it. I always call it bizarre magic. I don't know if that's Gothic correct. magic. What is it? I call it gothic magic, just because right, no one, no one can define bizarre. It's to them, when you say the word bizarre, it's sort of like carnivals and biting the heads off of chickens and things but well, I think if you say bizarre. the word gothic to people that are well read they understand it means you know sort of mary shelley lord byron yeah, and Poe. it's sort of the eerie melancholy frog fog shrouded streets of you know a, a literature period so i call, of it, old I call london it gothic. town mm, exactly yeah so so why 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 gothic magic then why because i i I started out doing magic at a haunted attraction. I was doing special effects and faux finishes and things for a haunted attraction in Wappingers Falls, New York, and uh, got introduced to a gentleman named Jeff McBride, who was a world-famous magician at that point in time, and he was starting a thing called Mystery School, and he said, you know, well, you might do well sort of becoming a magician, and I, I said, well, you know, don't you have to be sort of born into a magical family and, you know, they sort of tap you on the shoulder and bring you out to the, you know, the, the grotto in the middle of the night by candlelight, you know, with hooded figures. And he's like, no, you go to a meeting. And I'm like, well, it sort of sounds a little bit like AA, doesn't it? You know, you just show up at a meeting and you go, hi, I'm Vlad, I'm a magician, you know. Um, and I just never fit in with the sort of, psychology of generic magic where it was sort of like pick a card put the card back in now here's your card again and my mentality went and why do i care (laughs) 
Sure. But I, but I yeah. thought, you know, if I came up with vignettes and storylines and presentations that wove haunted reality in with magic, and I, I talked about something where, you know, possibly a key would have been found on the battlefield of Gettysburg or a page of a book was left at Waverly Hills Institute or, you know, here's something that was you know, from Dudley Town or something like that. And I started to talk about the stories and wove it more into these little scenarios. It would make people have an experience rather than just go, well, that's kind of clever. You know, now it's now you're altering their reality. And when all is said and done at the end of the show, then they sort of look around behind them and they're like, well, there might actually really be more to this than I thought. And Maybe there, maybe there are things hiding under my bed, and you know, so. <laughs> so that was the thing. And, and I chose the Vlad persona because, to me, it was sort of like that was. I wanted a persona, and, and I one of my cherished actor sort of idols from growing up was Vincent Price, and I always saw the like. Brom Stoker, Victorian vampire aristocrat as. A character that could, you know, you could age in the character. You could be young or old. And, uh, you know, it's a well-read character. He's aristocratic. He has, like, status and, and everything else. And it's just sort of blended well with the magic. And if you, were, if you were hundreds of years old, you probably would have to find something to amuse yourself living that long a lifestyle. And I'm like, I think it would be kind of fascinating for a vampire to taunt the mortals by doing something that was inherently nat natural to him, you know, magic. Mm -hmm. But to mortals, they're like, wow, that's amazing. And the vampire's going, yeah, I do it every day. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. Well, Ron, you've lived a very long time. How do you amuse yourself? Uh, listening to you. Thanks. I taught the mortals. <laughs> I was going to ask Vlad, actually, um, this idea of creating a scenario and... and uh, to enhance the experience and then people going away saying, yeah, you know, I might just have had something. It's a technique that we've used on investigations when we're simulating situations for, you know, training, uh, education. Um, how, how, how gullible have you found people to be? Because what we've generally gullible? found... Gullible? That's kind of... No, I can't think... I, no, it's not. It's yeah, a it good... Is. It's a good... It's a good word. I find because, that a negative. Well, we, I find it insulting, actually. All right. We, we, we use the term suspension of disbelief. There I you just, go. I like well, that one. I'm going I'm to stick with gullible. Um, because okay. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've managed to sell them some pretty big stories and then have them come back at the end of the, the night and, and report the experience. The biggest, the, biggest, the biggest thing for me is when I, when I tell people, even when I discuss, like, designing a character for yourself to use as a performer... What you have to do is you have to first clearly define what your character or persona would and wouldn't do. And if you're in that scenario, you need to erase as many psychological red flags as you can before the other people can even dream them up. Mm -hmm. So do away with any kind of a, my character wouldn't do this, because... People will inherently, they might not come out with it verbally, but they're going to go, no, that just doesn't seem natural. Mm -hmm. So if you can do away with all of those, most people are willing to go along for the ride. 
Yeah. That's always been that's always been a great surprise to me is just how much people are willing to accept if you mm-hmm. if you sell them the lie properly. Now, yeah. uh, last uh, Spirit Quest, we did a red light seance. Steve Gibson, who you know very well, uh, sure. yeah, uh, did the the red light seance, and and there were actually some people who were offended by it, some uh, mediums, and they find magicians as almost as a threat or an insult to what they do. Uh, why do you think that is, or, or have you run into that? I've, I've run into it a little bit because one, one year while I was doing the magic thing there, Sean Poirier and Christian Day invited mm-hmm. me to come over and do readings at the Psychic Fair. And uh, I had a sort of a, a sheet that I used for when I did tarot card readings, and it would actually... Sort of like when they when they pull the card, I would check off on the sheet, and at the end of the reading, I would give them the sheet to take home with them. Mm-hmm. And several of the psychics came over and they went, um, we, "We noticed you're you're giving them something to take with them." And I go, "Yeah, it's a it's a sort of a memo from the reading, and if they want to do further research on their own, they can." And it and it has my contact information on there, As you well. know, in case they Pretty have good. further questions. Yeah, you know, to me, it's good business sense. You know what? Absolutely. If you have further questions, find me at you know. <laughs> but they were sort of, the, but their mentality was, but then they can check up on what you said. Yeah, and I go, <laughs> and I have no problem with that. I go, it inspires further learning. Like they they will become further interested in this, and they're going, oh, we never have people verify what we say. Well, that's not necessarily true. I mean, it might have been true with them, but I know a yeah. lot of mediums that actually record their sessions or, or encourage their clients to record their sessions, so they they can take it back with them, and and uh, you know because they'll get them things, and 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 you know. Uh, uh, I'm sure you've seen mediums work and gallery work, and they'll say, sure. uh, do you have a William? I'm getting a William. Is there a William in your family? And he's got glasses and everything else. And they'll say, oh, no, I don't have him. I don't know him. And then they say, well, just take that. And that's basically yeah. what it is, is they come up with something, and although they may not be aware of it at the time, it may ring a bell later. So there are ones. Well, but then that comes back to the difference between, like you said, which is a key, I think, a key factor in the whole thing is that when you're doing a psychic fair, mm-hmm. it's sort of it, it's it's for lack of a better term, it's like a psychic trade show. Mm-hmm. And if you go see somebody like Kelly in Salem and you do a one-on-one, that's entirely different because right. then they do want to foster a relationship with you. But if you're doing a a, a psychic fair, it's sort of one of those. It's a numbers game. They want to do as many people as possible, and you know, and especially in Salem. Mm-hmm. I mean, the perception is. I mean, Danny tried to do it, and and they got highly insulted because he had the book out with him. And he <laughs> said, "Well, sometimes there are meanings of a reversal of a card, and when it yeah, comes yeah. in contact with another yeah. card, and I want to verify the meaning for them." And they said, "Well, we never use books." And his thing was, he was brought up as a Wiccan, so to him, the Tarot is very tied into his heritage and his like personal religious and family beliefs, so he didn't want to sort of disgrace the heritage of the Tarot, and to them, it was sort of, it showed that you weren't as well-versed as you should be. Oh, well, get over it. 
it's it's sort of potato potato. It's like sort it of is. like it wheat. is yeah. right. <laughs> sort of like taro and carrot. Here in, the UK, here in the UK, the, the recording of most of the mediums that operate at the psychic fairs will offer the uh, facility to record. It used to be mm-hmm. on cassette, then it moved to CD. Um, they, they offer that at an additional cost. So you would pay maybe £30 for a 30-minute reading or £40 if you want the recording for it afterwards. But this, I was surprised in Salem. I was the only person they had ever seen, and no one else was doing it in a room of about 20 people, right. offering them anything to take with them. And I'm like, okay, I don't know. It just seems like a natural thing to me to want them to be inquisitive about their own like possible future and or what we've spoken about but you exactly. know and i think psychics for some reason see they're still in the back of their head thinking that we're all magicians are all coming to get them they're back in that marjorie houdini day <laughs> where you're trying to expose them yeah so you know and they don't understand some of us like are are hoping that there's Lots more out there, and we want people to have, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, otherworldly experience. We want people to look back at the wonder of childhood or, you know, that there may be monsters under their bed. We want them to realize that there's things that are beyond their control and that, you know, magic may actually exist. Do you feel that working in magic has... um, and think about this question before you answer it. Do you think it has opened you up more to be attuned to the paranormal? It's it's accessed my acceptance of different systems of like sort of accessing it and and their. I mean, I've always been. I started watching horror movies when I was five. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was exposed to Frankenstein with my grandmother. So, okay. the the other world creepiness has always seemed natural to me. Um, and then, as I was growing up, I was one of the people that sort of, you know, was was back in the day when there was actually bookstores were new to have the New Age section. You know, it was like in the seventies. It was like a brand new thing to have like. A new age section where, like, yeah. books were about, you know, uh, karma and, you know, uh, tarot and Wicca and, you know, some of them every once in a while would have the Satanic Bible because, you know, Ooh. that was just, it was on the cutting edge, you know, so. Heavy <laughs> stuff, the Satanic. I remember walking into a bookshop when I was about 16 to see a copy of that right up on mm-hmm. the top shelf behind the uh, bookseller's counter. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had to actually was- ask to pick up this it was, it was, during that time period it was almost like sort of book pornography mm-hmm. you know it was sure. like you had to you almost wanted to like you know they were going to put give it to you in a brown paper bag so no one could see you leave with it you know it was, I remember feeling a very uh, self-conscious walking down the street carrying the brown paper bag because mm-hmm. I, I bought this satanic bible and then sneaking yeah. it into sneaking it into the house uh, I, you know I, I I, I was fairly, you know, my parents didn't didn't mind what I read, um, but I had this because of the way it was presented in the bookstore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and when you read it, it it sort of like nowadays like reads more like it could be some sort <laughs> of a a manual for better like how to get it how to get ahead in business. 
<laughs> you know, it's sort of don't let people take advantage of you and make sure that, you know, it's like, okay, it's not as dark and spooky as people think it is, but, you know, that's part of the mystique, you know. it's <laughs> Yeah, the 70s were, that's when it, it opened up pretty good. I mean, we had, like, you know, the Chariots of the God and, uh, sure. you know, Cigarette Life of Plants and, and mm-hmm. the other side of it, too, looking at UFOs and other uh, carrion uh, photography and all that yeah. stuff was, was really coming out big at that time. It was the it was the whole age of Aquarius type thing. Oh uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's, that's free. A yeah, free love, boys, free love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's actually. I mean, there was a whole genre of paperbacks um, you know, back then that, that you've named most of them. Um, but there was a huge, huge market here in the UK as well for this. This there was an appetite for something new for. A, but uh, something new that was safe in the past, and I think that's where the Gothic revival also comes from—the um, modern Gothic, not the not the Victorian Gothic revival—because uh, mm-hmm. we like this idea of we like to be frightened. We like to think that there is something beyond that we don't understand. And sure. we, we had the Hammer House of Horror television mm-hmm. series here in the UK that did exceptionally well. It was, and it still is a cult television program. The DVDs. You know, still command big money because they've been yeah. discontinued, um, and we still. You know, that's why I, the gothic. We still have a huge gothic movement here in the UK. Uh, every several times a year, people go up to Whitby in North mm-hmm. Yorkshire, and they have the big gothic sort of festivals. And we had we had, of course, gothic rock. Um, oh, following yeah. punk rock. Goth here. rock. Yeah. Goth rock following punk rock here in the UK, um, which. I, I don't. I think the fascination with the macabre, with the bizarre, we have ste- you know, the steampunk. It even translates into Lego. Um, you know, the, the recent Lego series of monster fighters have included very steampunk gothic characters and characterizations. So, yeah. I, the, so my my, my five year old, you know, has got Frankenstein. He's fully aware of what Frankenstein is, of who Van Helsing is. It's a, it's a slightly different situation these days, but I don't think the gothic will ever go away. It still continues to fascinate us. And, yeah, and that's I, why I chose to blend that into the magic, because it was sort of like it's part of our, I don't know, our, our inner our inner search as humans to sort of sit around the campfire and tell these sort of morality tales, you know, of good and evil and things like that. And it's sort of like it always... You know, it's the the inspiration of like the hero winning or the villain being vanquished, and you know this whole changing of worlds and stuff. I mean, thinking back, you were mentioning Haber and stuff. We also had like during the seventies, the gentleman's name was Dennis Wheatley. Well, we'll have to talk like, about that after the break because we got to take a break yes. right now. So, anyways. Okay. Uh, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parsons and Ron Kolick and our special guest, Vlad. Or oh, do you have another name you use, Vlad? No, you can use Vlad. <laughs> that's, what I thought. that's what I thought. So, anyways, uh, right here on Tojinet, uh, Pararex, Planet Paranormal, and wherever else will be in played. So, we'll be right back after the following messages. Monday mornings just got scarier. Tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition with New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, 
and his inquisitive travel companion, Lou Blassie, the professor. Hey, that's me. Each week we'll delve into the realm of the supernatural where all that is is not what it appears to be. With remarkable guests, spirited conversation, and the occasional voice of the deceased, we'll bring you a whole new meaning to the term dead air. Ghost Chronicles, Mondays at 11 on Eagle Radio 1110. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous as we give the awards to the Family. Hi, I'm Ron Kolick from the New England Ghost Project. And I'm Gail Lax from Winslow Studio Yoga and Healing. And we'd like to invite you to a very special event that we're running March 18th through the 20th. At the historic Daniel Inn in Brunswick, Maine. This is a weekend retreat, Gail, right? It is. It's going to be fantastic. And it's going to be all about ghost hunting. And connecting with spirit. Ooh, that sounds fun. And we're going to try new things that have never been done before. And we'll be investigating one of the most historic houses in Brunswick. And your weekend will include some great workshops and energy, all of our paranormal investigations, some wonderful food, and a group mediumship reading as well. And a red light seance too, right? Yes. And you never know who will come through in a red light seance. You never know. And uh, if people were interested in getting tickets for this, how could they do that, Gail? Oh, they can go to our website at www.winsoulstudio.com and go to our events page. And you can put your deposit down and reserve your space for this amazing retreat. So don't delay on this rare opportunity to spend a weekend with Gail and me as we go in search, search of, of spirit. But before you search for spirit with Ron and Gail, you've got to survive Ghost Chronicles International and our Gothic Horror Magic Edition. Our <laughs> special, what? With our special guest, Vlad. And it was interesting you were talking about De- the Dennis Weekly Library of the Paranormal, because mm-hmm. there's many, many of those on my bookshelf. But whilst I was looking at those, you know, this guy dealing with the Gothic, looking at some of the ghost hunting books that have been published even in the last two or three years. The whole cover design is pure gothic. The text, the, the font that they use, the design, you know, it, 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 we can't let go. And ghost hunting, I think, and we've spoken about this before in the show, ghost hunting, I think, has replaced 
the the Hammer Horror program or going to the mo- the movies with friends on a Saturday to watch the latest horror movie because now mm-hmm. it's become ghost hunting has become the interactive like like the magic show ghost hunting has become the interactive uh, movie night to share with friends the social experience of be- sharing being scared in a safe way together yeah and it's it's Back to that same, you know, because not most of us are sitting around a campfire in the woods, you know, and it's like, but it all brings it full circle. If we're going to a movie or we're going to here, you're still sharing that communal experience. But uh, <clears throat> the medium has just changed. You know, it's 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 like, you know, years ago in the, not so much now, but in like, you know, the 80s and so you used to have a bunch of friends would go to the carnival. You know, and, and sort of like go on the dark rides together or things oh, like yeah. that. You know, now yep. now it's pretty much you have to, you know, sound an air raid siren to get people away from like you know Skype. But you know. <laughs> yeah, but that's always the way. I mean, wasn't it always like you know that that abandoned house or that old neighbor? Sure. Uh, you know, you always like oh, I did go in the yard or or mm-hmm. the graveyard at night. Let's go. You know, I mean, I remember. Remember a little kid. I, I actually locked in a crypt by my uh, mates. So, uh, you know, it's it's. We were back in that. We wanted that little thrill, that living thrill, not just watching yeah. it on TV, but to actually experience it. And I and I think that's part of what you were talking before about whether or not being a magician. I think that sort of having an interest in the horror and being a magician. It's sort of that's what led me to create this form called Gothic magic. Was I wanted to share the magic, but I wanted it to be, you know, first of all, the the medium of fear worked well for me. Um, But I also wanted to present something that was, for lack of a better explanation, like respectable to other belief systems and things like that, where it wasn't making fun of or downplaying that, other things exist, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like if you, once you've been to, you know, some of the people that don't understand any of this, they're like, well, you don't really believe in all this, you know, ghost stuff. And I'm like, if you've ever been someplace that's truly been haunted, I really wouldn't have to answer that question. You just <laughs> know for yourself. And and it's it's not like we get paid to, you know, from the other side. There's no residuals from the other side that they're like. Yay, you swayed another one to us. You know, you either know somebody. If only. If only. (laughs) You you know, Vlad, I have to admit that one of the most fun things I ever did was that special show we did one Halloween with uh, Mm -hmm. you and Rich Lavenwood, Mm -hmm. uh, where we combined. you know, a storyline, which what it was, and we combined uh, the novel and the paranormal, and Mm -hmm. the magic, and and it was it was really to me that was an enjoyable evening. It really was. And I always look back at that and, you know, I, I just so wished you were living up here again. And, uh, you know, I would do much more things with you because that, uh, that and that's was... why we tried to sway you down to our thing down in South Carolina. Oh, yeah, we, like, we didn't you... get to talk about that. Uh, I, I heard that uh, for those who don't know, uh, we're talking about the East Coast. Uh, oh, God. East Spirit Coast. Session. Spirit Session. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was in January. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and how it went? Uh, we decided to, just because, you know, we are separate in, in 
our focus than a regular generic magic convention. So I came up with the idea of people that do spook shows and seance entertainment, things like that, have an entirely different convention that just focuses on bizarre magic, seances, and, you know, paranormal entertainment. So, we get, we, you know, we had, uh, I think this year we had 95 people, but we had uh, Dan Baines come over from the U.K., who uh, is heavily, was heavily in, involved in the whole, uh, there was a fairy hoax going on over there for a little while that he was, was. involved was. in. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, several, several other people came over, you know, from like the U.K., and it was, we had Paul Vudini and some other people. Um, but it was sort of like we, we designed this magic convention for people that do strange and unusual entertainment that they could go to uh, get away from, like, wherever they are in the place and go down to uh, at least warmer climate down in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and uh, be amongst kindred and have workshops and uh, a small dealer room where, you know, they could sort of, Resupplement their expenses from coming to the convention, and you know, and sort of sell some things, so it didn't cost so much to come across across on airfare. So, uh, but we had, I think, ninety ninety five people this year. Excellent. Know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people were already uh, looking. They're uh, like, "So, when are we doing it this next year?" And I'm like, well, "About the same time." <laughs> there you go. And I heard you had now. I I heard you had these amazing table things uh, with centerpieces. Mm-hmm. Kathy Caulfield designed them. They were they were fantastic because they were these like little tiny like dioramas of a, of a, a thirteen guests at a séance table. But she she designed these little skeletons partaking in their own little séance. And there was a Ouija board, and there was sort of this like book. And she actually had this little tiny book that was on the table, and it actually was a miniaturized version of pictures of all of us that put the convention on from last year that were little pictures in this miniature book. Wow. <laughs> With a little crystal ball and everything. It was all the trappings of a seance held by skeletons. And uh, she made the thing where it actually could pack up inside of a, it looked like an ancient book. So the book opened up and you could put all the skeletons and everything inside the book and pack it away for next year. And, and bring it with you. <laughs> yeah, what's, uh, I, and Richard was telling me it was simply amazing. He's supposed to send me a picture of it, but uh, he hasn't yet. Yeah. So, uh, well, if you ever get on on Facebook, if you go on to the East Coast Spirit Sessions page, oh yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay, I'll check that out then. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And we tried to we tried to like as a thank you for everybody that attends the things. I came up with the idea that I'm like, well, we should give them a sort of a thank you gift for registering and. You know, I'm like, well, it shouldn't just be, you know, you all go to these conventions and you get a keychain or something else that's ends up in your, like, you know, throwaway drawer or something. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, let's come up with something that's meaningful, but people can actually use, you know, for their whatever performances or their life. And last year we did a, a skull plant chest. And yeah. this year we did a, uh, this year we did a pendulum board. So, mm-hmm. and it came with a an antique key pendulum. So it was like, I'm like, well, this way, you know, the things can be put into use, but they still will remember us when they're using them. So Yeah, they're excellent. I mean, they're beautiful. Rich still has my stupid Ouija board. And if he came all the way up to give it to me and left it on the freaking table. So uh, 
Yeah, when he came up to the red light seance. So he still owes me on that one. But uh, (laughs) we'll get you down to our thing eventually, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Actually, I'd love to go. It just haven't been able to. Um, Yeah. I am going to. nearer than I am. I know. Anyway, well, you could have uh, you could have jumped on there with Dan Baines or or Paul Houdini and like snuck over or something in there. <laughs> do you know? Do you know, um, Vlad? I've got I've had invitations from Rich and Steve for the last I think couple of years to come down, and yeah. I, I'm I'm committed with Spirit Quest uh, in in the fall, uh, and I don't think I, I think it would require. Um, the the auspices of God Himself to ship to to uh, allow my wife to let me escape twice. <laughs> well, you uh, can talk her into somehow like letting you stay from Spirit Quest into January, but you know. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, there's a thought. Yeah, at least I get to see some snow. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be so, a first. You know, I, I've got to mention this, which I, I, I found intriguing, is that um, my wife and I are both Doubt Navy fans, and. Uh, so uh, the guy, uh, Mr. Carson, who is Jim Carter, uh, is coming over to the U.S. and he's up in Portsmouth on Thursday, and, and uh, he will be doing doing a, uh, a show there. And uh, we, so I bought tickets for my wife and I for the meet and greet and everything. So and, and all the funds go to uh, the Nepal earthquake uh, relief fund. So which is kind of cool. But anyways, mm-hmm. I didn't even know what this guy did or anything. So I just bought the tickets because it was him. As I find out, he's a magician. Hmm. So I guess I'm going to go see magic on Thursday. So I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of uh, thrilled about that, actually. Ron, <laughs> I keep telling you, all the Brits are magicians. I mean, do you know how? Do you know the special art in making tea properly? No. It's not just throw a bag in a cup, you know, and then pour hot water. No, it's not. I'm sure Mr. Carson will educate you. I mean, that's the real magic. Yeah. Well, and you guys were, were sort of weaned on Paul Daniels and Simon Drake, and and we now were. I guess it now I guess it Darren Brown is the big one now. But, uh, you know. He, he, do you know? Yeah, um, he, he had a cult following a few years ago, and he's still incredibly popular. But he uses a lot of psychological magic, and uh, mm-hmm. he's he, he still has his appeal. But I. I'd be honest, I'd say that he's kind of dwindled a little bit um, in favour of what's now now this sort of street magic from... Um, we've got these sort of young, upcoming... Um, and that's what I was going to ask Flat about, uh, Steve. Is, is What's the difference between these street magicians and, and the kind of magic that you do uh, and the traditional magic and a mentalist? What's, what's the difference between all of these? A mentalist sort of mimics and or does things involving the psychic sort of like they walk on stage with a clipboard or a pad of paper and they will simulate mind reading or you know person-to-person communication Mm -hmm. Um, a regular magician will generally do card tricks and that can be close up which is at a table or walk around an illusionist is someone that has tractor trailers that goes to big giant theaters that have like 2,000 people. Ah, nice. And street magic is sort of stuff that's just done supposedly with no preparation right out in front of everything. I, I, to me, I never was fascinated. I enjoy watching it. Mm-hmm. I was never fascinated with it because there's no... 
you're stopping people on the street and you're going, can I show you a card trick? And then, mm. you know, you, you're either going to get a yes or a go to hell away, you know, and it's, I, I don't, I would rather Wait. people that want to see yeah. my stuff see it and not sort of infringe on them and give them the power to go, go away, you're bothering me. You know, so. it's, 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 a, it's, it's very trendy here in the UK, street magic, this idea of, you say, stopping people, stopping celebrities, you know, sort of door-stopping celebrities and mm -hmm. stealing their Rolex and then giving them back and making them exclaim. And it's, it's the very edgy sort of nature of the character, the character that the magician's using, you know, the, the 20 And I think a lot of that, like, plays, though, to the 20, the teenager, 20-something. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Because when you go into, like, one of the biggest companies that pushes a lot of that stuff is, is illusionist. And when you watch the way they've designed their little ads for the products, it, it's, it's like a 30-second blurb, but... 25 of those seconds are the guy approaching a group of girls, the girls telling him how cool he is, and him, like, sort of, like, walking away with a swagger, and then it's like, there's, like, three seconds where they actually tell you what the actual effect is. Yeah. And make so sure like, you're wearing the right train. You've got to wear the right trainers and the right labels and the right baseball cap on back to front. Exactly. And it's sort of like, this will make you cool so you can pick girls up. And I'm like, you might want to tell me what it is I'm supposed to be performing before I decide <laughs> whether or not I want to be that cool. You know, it's like... It's interesting when you mentioned um, you're talking about street magic and uh, how it's supposed to be spontaneous, in your face, unrehearsed. Um, mm -hmm. And you you gave an allusion to the idea that it may not be. And one of the things when these programs are always on, because I, I think like a lot of paranormal investigators, it's inevitable that I you end up with a fascination with magic. I mean, one of the book the books that I pride on having is uh, Harrowwood Carrington's book, Boys' Book of Magic. Uh, mm -hmm. Carrington was a great psychical researcher, but was also like many um, investigators fascinated by magic. Like Lloyd Arbrecht. I like mm -hmm. Lloyd Arbach and, and many, many others. Um, and she always turns to me and goes, well, how did they do that trick? And actually, you know what? I kind I in many cases, I, I obviously I know, but mm -hmm. I, f I feel mean to tell her. You know, it's, it's like, sure. well, I know, but I'm going to have to kill you if I told you. And it's not part, a form part of, the, of elitism. Part of the thing with, like, the experience of learning magic is, the first step is when you first see magic, everything is cool. And then the second step is you want to, be, even though you don't know what kind of magic you want to do, you want to buy everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then the third step is once you have it all, you look at it and, and there's this disappointed because you go, I was fooled by this. <laughs> and then the, the fourth step is I understand how it's done. And now I can appreciate the level of skill it took for them to entertain me with that. But but the general person on the street, when you tell them how it's done, they don't want to get to the fourth step. So they're just left in that pool of, wow, I was really stupid for being fooled by that. And it's not really a good place to leave people. It's sort of like that they feel they've been conned. It's, you know, and I think that's why I, I went for the spooky stuff, because it's like, I can just leave them as, you know what, we had an experience this evening, whether or not it will ever happen again is up to you, and 
thank you and have a good evening. You know, so, how so, do you, you feel about these programs that, that uh, reveal the magic tricks? You know, oh, there's, the, been a, there's been yeah. a few that have, um, you know, the magic show, uh, magic uh, sort of things revealed, like the soaring in half and the... Yeah. Yeah, how do you, how, how, as a magician, how do you feel about that? I mean, I feel sorry for the people that it that it bothers me. I, I create all of my own material, so it's like they're not going to expose my stuff because I don't sell it to anyone, and therefore it's not on the market for them to explore how I did it. Um, but the people that do it, like a lot of the people it hurts, are people that do like school shows and children's entertainment. And and the point is is, is that like those guys, a lot of them aren't making huge amounts of money. And for them to buy an illusion, I mean, if you buy, like, a levitation that they do at birthday parties, mm-hmm. it's probably going to cost you close to a real cheap one will cost you, like, $1,000. Wow. So if that guy spends $1,000 on that and he's only doing a $75 birthday party, he has to do a lot of birthday parties to recoup the money that he paid for that illusion. And if it's on TV that week, that means that, like, four or five months from he can't use that illusion because the kids are going to remember that they saw it. After four or five months, people don't really care anymore. But he has to take it out of his rotation, so it sort of hurts him financially that he can't use something that he was counting on using. Do you not think uh, so it's just sort of like it hurts the guys that are doing the, the smaller things. But, and it's, it's, it's a skill set as well because I, you know, I, I've played around. I, I am not a magician. I, I, I'm a ghost mm-hmm. hunter. But obviously, sure. I, you know, I, I'm, I've played around with some of the tricks. I've learned them. I've taken them apart. I, you know, I've learned how to do them because of my own curiosity. And I, I, one thing I've learned is the intense amount of skill that it requires to be able to you know, get away with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when some and there's a lot of stuff well, people don't even realize that goes into it. It's sort of like selecting the proper volunteer mm-hmm. that's not going to be combative and sort of try and upstage you and someone that's going to have a good time and not be more afraid of being on stage than they are of dying. Uh, you know, it's like so that whole goes into the whole thing. And, and, you know, and there's a lot of things that go into it and, and the timing and the patter and all the other things that go into the presentation. You know, it's just... It sort of hurts the people that are doing the smaller things. Say, the guys be, that are doing big it, shows, it, they don't really care anyway. So it's like because they're going to do frustrating for you. You know, when you see, um, the, I mean, I, I kind of liken it to me watching Zach Bacon's and um, doing mm-hmm. stuff, Ghost Adventures. You know, they've taken what should be a serious thing that I take very seriously, and I think that is, is there is actually a degree of skill, a degree of skill involved in studying. And they've just turned it into a crass television program, and it infuriates me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just curious as to whether that has a similar effect when they do these reveals on magic shows. It cheapens it. It's sort of like, you know, this, this whole, it's the, I don't know, I almost look at it as like, you know, and I know that there's no way around it, but it's sort of like one of those, you almost feel that it's it's like back in the day, they used to have the carny attraction where it's like come see james dean's death car mm-hmm. you know it's like well you know here's here's a here's a vehicle someone died in let's charge people a dollar and they can come and look at it you know it's right. like hmm well, what are you actually getting from this you know it's like you know and i'm like 
And most people, they're curious, and just, just because you tell them that you can't tell them how it's done makes them want to know even more. I see. But it's like, I almost but, feel I mean, some We of have it such like, a fascination with the macabre, uh, Vlad. I mean, you know, I mean, when Edgar Allan Poe was reinterred, they they stole pieces of his coffin to keep sure. his souvenirs. When when Lincoln was assassinated, they kept uh, parts of his uh, bandages and stuff and bedding. And, oh, and when, and people, when people were guillotined, they would soak the blood in cloths. And, you know, I mean, some of the places when they had, like, mass hangings, they would actually sell little dolls on a string for the children to play with of, like, hanging people. But, oh, you know, know, that's just ingrained. But it's just sort of one of those... Yeah. Actually, you, you, can po- you, can po- you can point a finger there at the Catholic Church for some of that because sure, um, sure. You, you have this idea of the king's healing, this idea mm-hmm. that if you, if you soaked your, your handkerchief into the blood of an executed king or monarch or saint, that they would bring you, uh, you know, some sort of healing properties. Yeah, but I mean, that's only that one was, thing, but you can but talk about, car- you know. That the, did the, carry over into the souvenir trade. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's only a, a major, minor portion. Is somebody we, we're just, you know, like Vlad says. I mean, people would go pay to see the car that someone died in. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We have that. We have that fascination with death and and weird macabre stuff for some reason. Well, look it, at the most popular channels on YouTube. It's like nobody can turn away from an accident. You know, somebody yeah. sees an what accident. One of the most popular channels on YouTube are car crash videos and plane crash videos and. You know, all of these macabre videos, you don't need to now go to see the James Dean crash car because you've now got YouTube and, you know, some of the most, after after sex and pornography, the next most popular uh, genre are the accident disaster uh, clips. Well, even, David, when Chicago tried to change its its image from being the gangster city to whatever they want to be, now I guess they just want to be the windy city, you know, they tore down the St. Valentine's Day Massacre garage because they thought that if they did away with it, it wouldn't sort of bring in tourists that just wanted to see gangsters. But when they tore it down, there were people that were breaking into the lot where the bricks were and stealing the bricks and putting them on eBay and or just keeping them themselves because right. it was a they big wanted a piece of history, you know? Yep. <laughs> so anyways, we've actually run out of time, so we've got to... Damn. Wrap this up. Oh, wait a minute. No, we don't have. Well, sort of. We'll give them that. Anyways, yeah, that's true. Uh, some of the bridge, bricks are supposed to be haunted and everything. It's actually in one of my books. Uh, I think Ghost, uh, Ghost Today, I feel like we talk about that. But, yeah, it's fascinating stuff, how we yeah. we want a piece. I mean, I have my own souvenir collection of weird and strange yeah. stuff as well. I think. <laughs> Aren't uh, we all guilty of that one? Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, yeah. we Holding do have that a, fascination. A ground up brick from the Lizzie Borden house, which is placed atop yeah. the, a brick from Borley Rectory. There we go. There's the uh, bell, which means pizza from the dead's here, so we've got to wrap it up. So, Vlad, we want to thank you so much uh, for being on the show. And if people wanted to get a hold of you, uh, is there a way? Yeah, they can go to my website, gothicmagic.com or hauntedshows.com. They're both mine, so. Haunted shows or gothic magic? Maybe we can put that up on our website. Let's hopefully. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. All right. And it so was Vlad, a pleasure, thank- as always, to speak with you both. So, yeah, you know, anytime. Thanks, awful lot. thanks, Vlad. Yeah, bye. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Cool guest. Yeah, that was good. I, uh, I uh, enjoyed that. He's, you know, he's a fascinating person. And, and if you've seen his magic, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, it's, uh, 
it, it's I know, fun. I know, I know he's done Spirit Quest, um, but I think that was the only one that I didn't. But I've had the pleasure of obviously um, sharing Spirit Quest with Rich and Steve. Right. We, yeah, I did a, uh, a special presentation uh, when we we combined the gothic magic of Vlad and uh, the escapism of Rich and uh, the paranormal uh, seances and stuff. Is where we went in search for the the killer of Jack the Ripper, and so it was it was good. It was a good little storyline, and uh, it all came together, and it was it was excellent. I've, I've got to admit that you know having Rich and Steve at Spirit Quest in the past and seeing the performances has been you know one of the most memorable highlights for me personally of Spirit Quest, and of course meeting you. Of course. So, anyways, uh, you got anything coming up you want to mention? Uh, no, I'm just finishing off some stuff. I've got a talk and some big st- tour Liverpool to do for the Ghost Club, um, and then back to Ireland. It's like again that, that time of year. I haven't been to Ireland for a while, um, so it's sitting at the computer, writing, writing lots of talks and presentations. Excellent, excellent. And of course, I have that big uh, In Search of Spirit weekend yeah. coming up March 18th. And, you have all the and fun. I told you, you, you have all April the fun. April 15th, I will be doing a Victorian uh, uh, table tipping session with Amy Major, the rescue medium. So that's going to be fun, too. So, Does she uh, rescue mediums? She actually rescues the dead, which is, uh, well, you'll be hearing a lot more about her. So, uh, anyways. I, so, time to wrap yeah. it up and uh, say good night. So, right. God bless. See you next week. Talk to you soon, folks. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good law. <laughs>